0: So, what are we going to do this evening? I'm going to take just a few moments and run through a passage of Scripture with you intentionally. Because I've asked three people to join me. Because I want you to hear their prayer journey. Now, we're going to have to be very succinct, Joe, and speak very short answers. I know that would be a miracle, but I believe in miracles today. I believe in miracles. Short answers. Joe and Paul and Shannon. Hagman are going to come up, and I'm going to do a quick interview with them, because I want you to learn from more than just me and my experience, but from them as well. Prayer is a mystery, isn't it? I mean, how many of you would love to be better at it? All right? 20 of you. It, it, at its most reductionistic form, think of cooking. At its most elementary form, it's about communing, co- communing with God. It's this incredible thing where the temporal meets the eternal, the human meets the divine. And then you realize this is a mystery and it's quite undefinable. So how do we live with the simplest form and then the most complex world of understanding? Um, And so what I want to do is just simply run through one we all know. And the clock, I've got the clock. So I'm going to try to be super, super quick. But the invitation this evening is to a life of prayer. And why this is such an exquisite passage of Scripture, it's because Jesus gives us that reductionistic. If you don't pray any other way, this is the way you engage. And then each one of them unpackages themselves into something incredibly exquisite Tomaki from the Bible Project fame said of the Lord's Prayer, it's the anthem of the counterculture. And I really like that. It's the anthem of the counterculture. So Mark chapter 6 gives us a picture of what we call the Lord's Prayer. And I just want to extract some high points from this and help you see that there are so many different ways that we can learn to pray. I remember learning to play the guitar, and I was so proud of myself that I could, 1977 I think it was, and I was so proud that I could play D G C. I mean, I could almost sing any song to DCG or whatever it was. And then someone told me there's an E minor, and I'm like, yo, this is a game changer. I'm hitting a minor chord. Then I realized that's what Eve played when God came at the, you know what I mean? Because every church did that. As we got to the response time, every person started playing in the minor keys, because that seemed to bring more of Jesus into the house. And then, and then they said, no, 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 there's a major and a minor, and there's a diminished. And, 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 and I was like, oh well, my word, there is more than GCD. GCD is good, and I learned to play most of the folk songs of that time and the Dylan songs with GCD. I mean, my voice didn't always match the tone of that particular version, but it was good. I remember I sold my motorbike to have a car. My dad said, well, that's your problem, buddy. you walking. So I'd strap my guitar and I would walk through Westville, which is a big suburb in Durban. And I would take an hour to go from my house to my friend's house. And I would just jam and sing at the top of my voice. And when I found a new chord, it was heavenly. Our Father, why does He invite us to say that? It speaks to me of the prayer of intimacy. It's an invitation to engage God personally, that it's never a ritual. It's never empty, an empty mantra of repetition. It's an invitation. Oh, God, you are my Father. Now, for some of you, the word Father is a really alien word that kind of shakes inside of you because your experience was so poor, but it's an, it's an invitation to intimacy. It's an invitation to listening. Listen. Shh. You know when I run, and, and I, I don't know what to pray. It happens sometimes. Busy, my mind's all over the show. And then I just quiet myself. Say, Our Father. Father. My Father. You're intimate. You want to speak. On a story, I had a brutal headache last night. I was awake most of the night, and I knew I had three things, three teachings to do this morning at Pacific Point Church here, and then we've got the newbies coming to our house, and I just said, Lord, you can't do this to me. I mean, I'm literally hurting. My head is numb. So this morning went really well, I thought, and then I lay on my bed this afternoon, and I just said, oh, my father, here's your boy, hurting, numb." Don't know if I can string words together, but you are my father and you love these precious people. Oh, my father, what an invitation to sit at the feet of the one who is so holy and pure. And to know his touch and his caress and his affirmation and to hear him speak your name. I don't know if you've ever really prayed with that level of intimacy until you hear God. Can I be honest with you? God said to me this afternoon, Chris, I'm so proud of you. I'm literally lying on my bed. I just said, I don't know if I can do this evening. I'm so, Chris, I am so proud of you. Until we are invited into that place of intimacy and contemplation. I don't know how well we'll ever pray. Because I suspect what it will be is a, a checklist of performance in which you are trying to please this distant God who's watching from the distance rather than invitation right into the most intimate place with Him. And then listen. Listen. You so, say, oh, I got a three minute prayer right down. I thought, wow, I could never, ever love my kids three minutes a day. I've got way too many words, way too many hugs, way too many kisses, way too many loves. Our Father who art in heaven, that doesn't mean He's distant, it means that He is over the cosmos, He's over everything. He is the sovereign God, and when I feel so small and defeated and weak and and incapable, he says, no, because I am the one who is over everything. Our Father who art in heaven, the sovereign God over all the cosmos. We look at that word sovereign in a few weeks' time. I want to spend a whole session just unpacking that, because it's not fatalism. It's not, well, if God wants it, it's going to happen. No, it didn't look at the garden. He never wanted Adam and Eve to sin. But they chose to. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be your name. I will enter his gates with thanksgiving in my heart and enter his courts with praise. There's nothing so compelling as being caught up in our songs of adoration. This is a poem. This is a poem written that can be so readily sung. Even if your voice is a little croaky. It's an invitation to hallow, adore His name. That's the point of invitation. Where we come into His presence and we just declare the wonder and the mystery and the redemption and the power that is who He is. Then I find His mercies that are new every morning. So when I don't know how to pray, things are too much for me, I say, Oh, my Father who is in heaven, I hallow Your name today. For 45 years, I have been found in Your presence and I would not want to be anywhere else our father who art in heaven hallowed be your name your kingdom come it's inviting him desiring for him to come and to bring his rule and reign into my life it's prayer of revival would you come one more time Jesus I don't know about you when I'm when I'm at the international airport and we're flying to London and Wales um, in a few weeks time And I know that I'll be at LAX and then I'll be at London Heathrow and the myriad of people coming and going. And I just stand there sometimes watching this mass of humanity. Every nation, every tribe, every tongue walking through this. And I say, oh God, would you come and break in on these precious, precious people? Your kingdom come. Your rule and reign come. Bring revival. Would you you do that one more time? I so long for it. I so long for it. Your kingdom come, your will be done. It's a prayer of surrender. And we know that was Jesus when he was in the garden and he said, Lord, if it's possible, take this cup from me. Please hear that, friends. Many of you have been schooled under a kind of almost a euphoric triumphalism. I must always be up. I must always be positive. I'm sorry, Jesus would not have been welcome at your table. He groaned, and he moaned, and he wept, and he took buddies with him, and they fell asleep. He said, oh, Father, if it's possible, please take this cup from me. For eight years, I prayed that prayer, living here in L.A. I did not want to be here. I wanted to be in Hong Kong, planting a church in Asia. For eight years, every day, I said, Lord, not my will, but yours be done. I do not want to live in the city. It was very kind to me very, very gracious. God can cope with our vulnerability, vulnerabilities and uncertainties. You know, my boy went walkabout in uh, late high school, early college years. I didn't know how badly he subsequently told us. But there was a time where I had no more prayer to pray. I didn't know what to pray. I'd, I'd, I'd used up every prayer I knew. And I would go out to Back Bay and I would just walk back, back. it was three miles from my house to the Y and then back. And sometimes I went further all the way down to the Mercedes dealership there. And I would literally spend the whole time, an hour or more, your kingdom come. Your will be done in my boy's life. I have no other prayer. I'm sorry. I have, no, I have no, nothing eloquent, nothing powerful, nothing mysterious. I can't quote 20 scriptures to you. Right now, I'm fighting for my boy's life. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. Your kingdom come. Your will be done. And it did one day. They'd been out in the desert. When he was studying in San Diego, they'd got up to stuff that they shouldn't have. Driving back to college on the Sunday morning, he was sitting in the back of a hummer. And the hummer flipped. And he wasn't strapped in. And he said, Dad, I saw the asphalt come at me. And he said the next minute I was standing on the side of the road watching the Hummer roll down the street and I had a little scratch on my shoulder and a little scratch on my back and I had a little scratch on my foot. 70 miles an hour, you get flung out of a car. Who does that? Your kingdom come. Your will be done. I said, T, God saved you, boy. Kingdom come, your will be done, was the only prayer I had. On earth as it is in heaven, it's the most exquisite prayer of faith. Calling heaven to earth. That's the joy we had. A friend of mine, Gerald Coach, said it's like getting a handful of the kingdom and pulling it down into project planet earth. That's what that prayer is. Like heaven, like earth. Where I can in the full abundance and inheritance that is mine. I don't know why I've got so many personal stories today. Maybe, forgive me. uh, but, But we nearly lost the house we live in now. And it wasn't just for our house. It was the house that would start this church. And I remember lying on the couch awake because we were fighting to get the mortgage. Long story. And I remember just crying out, as it is in heaven. This isn't a cool house for Chris and Meryl to live in. This is a house to launch a community. Get a handful of heaven and pull it down into the earth. Are you with me? It's a most exquisite style of prayer. It's a prayer of faith. It's believing not what I see, but believing whom whom I know. All right, moving on. Give us today our daily bread. It's a prayer of provision. It's petitioning God for the things that matter to us. And I love that, and time does not allow me even to tell one story. Uh, Forgive us our debts, the prayer of confession, where God can cope with my sin, where God wants to listen to my misdemeanor. He wants to heed my good old Bible word, iniquity. And I come to him with confession and I bring my account current with him. God, this is, I'm so sorry. I'm I'm so sorry. I should have turned my computer off last night at one o'clock and I didn't. I am so sorry. I objectified that woman as I saw her on the screen. I am so sorry. I can't be like Adam and Eve hiding, pretending that didn't happen. I I come to him and and I say, oh God, I am So sorry. And the blood of Jesus that will cleanse me of all my sin washes me white as freshly fallen snow. Prayer is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And also forgiven our debtors, the prayer of intercession. Lead us not into temptation. Again, a a wonderful expression of standing in the gap, just not for ourselves. There's a beautiful story of Elijah on his knees, literally in the then uh, birthing position. He had his knee, his head between his knees. He was squatting. And what can best be described as a moment of birthing. He cried out to God that the cloud would come and bring rain upon a barren land. It's an exquisite prayer. That's why sometimes we pray with groans and utterances we don't even understand. I cheated. I watched my daughter give birth to my first grandson. And they said we weren't allowed to go in there. But that, you know, rules are guidelines. I I never really find how wonderful rules are. So we were supposed to wait in the visiting room. Meryl and Dana were in the room with Nas. And I, you know, if you walk confidently, people think you know where you're going. So I walked (laughs) confidently until I heard her cry. And there was a there was a curtain there, and I stood there and I just opened the curtain. She looked at me, tears, squeezing the sucker of a baby. And she said, hi, Dad, how are you doing? I'm like, <laughs> what the hell? Don't care about me. How are you doing? Because I heard her pain. It mattered to me. But deliver us from the evil one, the prayer of deliverance and warfare for your kingdom and the power and the glory, which is not in the text added later, the prayer of protection now and forevermore, the prayer of blessing. One of the prayers that Merrill prays that I love, not too shabby is um, in the mornings when she gets up, she invites the father to put his hand on her head. say, Father, would you speak a blessing over me? And I love it. Sometimes I cheat. I look. I kind of seem like I do it a lot. I don't really. I just do that. And uh, it's such a beautiful moment where I can see the father God putting his hand on her head, putting his fatherly blessing all over her. All right, I've got too much to say. Joe and Paul and uh, Shannon Hagman, would, would you come and join me up here? Can we, There are three chairs at the back. Can you guys bring them? Yeah. Thanks, Ben. So why have I chosen these three? I could have chosen any one of you. But I thought here is a representation of the community. Each has a story, and I'll keep moving. I'll keep them moving the stories. But Joe is from Wisconsin, moved here two years ago to become part of the life of our community. Joe Snyder. That's, that's Joe Snyder, the man with the tie dye shirt. He says, I'm jealous. Um, Paul, Paul joined us when he was across the road. I'll never forget. I'll never forget the night he came and he looked like some of you did tonight. He was like big eye, just watching all of this. And we were outside in the courtyard, and um, he didn't know anyone. I could see that he felt super awkward, and we were breaking bread together. So I went across, and I took him bread, and Meryl was like, "No," And I thought, no, this is a good moment. This is a good time to just break in on his little space. And here he is. Here he is. And Shannon... (laughs) Shannon uh, spent two years in India not to be awkward, but a pretty little blonde who went to a, a nation who really are not kind to women, and she's one of my heroes, to just give her life, and she still wants to go back into that nation and restore the dignity, beauty, and wonder of women. So I'm going to start with you, Shannon. What did India teach you about praying?
1: Is this on? Okay. First of all, he didn't give us previews on any of these questions, no, just so that you not. guys know, so this I'm is I'm never off the going cuff. to spoil you that no, way. I know. I know Paul texted me earlier, and I was like, no, Chris isn't going to tell us what the questions are ahead of time. Mm. I think the on earth as it is in heaven part, um, that we have an opportunity every day, whether we're in India or we're here, to partner with God in bringing the kingdom of heaven in a coffee shop, in our living room, on a phone with a friend, doing dishes. And it's so easy to get caught up in myself in my fears, and my worries, and my frustrations, and that relationship, and that thing. And the moment we do that, we cut off the channel of the Holy Spirit and His power in us, in our ability to bring the kingdom of heaven on earth in prayer. And so I think India is just, you know, it's a dynamic place. It's a place where they wail when they're in prayer. We don't do a lot of wailing here. And, you know, we keep things tame. We've we got to a gun whale well, bud. Well. No, okay. okay. We have to change the letters. <laughs> um, but yeah, just like to cry out, right? Like, what would it look like if as a church we came together and we wailed those longings in our heart that are over injustice, that are over oppression, that are over whatever the broken aspects are in the world? Like, what would happen in Genesis and Costa Mesa if we set up a wailing wall in Costa Mesa, right, Jerusalem? Anyways.
0: So is there a, an answer prayer that jumps to your mind instantly in India? Well, you cried out to God and God met you in the most unique way.
1: I will share one of my host mother. My host brother was kidnapped. And we don't know why. We just came home while I was there. I walk up and my 17-year-old you know, host brother had been grabbed and taken on a motorcycle. And his single mom, which in India being a single mom is like a horrific thing. You know, you did something terrible for your husband to die and be a single mom she sat on that tiny bed in that tiny room and she cried out to god with everything that was in her you know god this is your promise for me this is your promise for my son and i am declaring that you will return him to life today and an hour later someone brought him back on a motorcycle so
0: beautiful 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 paul you stumbled into our world you had come from a life of addiction and you have pursued prayer as one of, the, one of the high passions of your life. Why?
2: You know, prayer is, honestly, it's been, it's been super messy. Prayer is a place where I've been very well acquainted with my brokenness. And I think even with the addiction and just compulsions or the issues we face with life, there's just a certain threshold where you just can't do it on your own. And you're just, you just come to this moment where you're really brought to your knees and prayer was like the only thing that I could do, but at the moment, not knowing that what I was doing was prayer, but just the deep groans within my soul and just crying out to someone or something And God just so passionately being right there and having experienced that experientially. I was just like, man, this is the most powerful thing on earth. But it was a long journey because I feel like I had to reconcile this disconnect with the Father. Where I feel like so many of us pray to God, but not really trusting or knowing if someone's really there. It's more out of like moralism and just like, this is the right thing to do so I'm just gonna pray because I've been thought like this. But then I think there's this reconciliation that needs to happen where we, you know, trust has to precede faith because unless we can trust him, like we'll never truly take that step forward and experience true faith, so.
0: There was a time when you were in the canyon, early, early days, and you met God quite significantly. It was, my memory serves me right. Maybe what happened there?
2: Yeah, so I was in King Can- uh, King's Canyon uh, by myself on a three-day just solitude retreat, camping, like with off-grid, no reception and all that. And I just had this big question of, you know, what, what am I meant? Like, how do I experience God deeply? and just very passionately coming to him with this question of like, God, how can I experience you more? And then for the first night, it was just silence, just radio silence. I'm worshiping, I'm praying, I'm reading the word, nothing. Second day, same thing, it's just silence. And then here I am like thinking like, man, I took all this time, drove five hours deep like in the canyon, and I've like wasted my time. And then in a very ordinary like moment of silence, I just heard God say, Paul, the most important and truest thing about who you are is that you are my beloved and just sit in that. And then I was like, this is just too simple. Like, this is it, God? Like, this, this, this is the big secret? And then I came back not realizing how deeply that formed me in a way where I can't explain it with words, but I just came back different. Mm -hmm. Just this like rock-solid assurance and confidence that God is really for me and truly experientially experiencing His love for me as His beloved.
0: Beautiful, beautiful, beautiful. Joe, you come from a very different background to both of these, from the Midwest. And... um, when did prayer begin to matter to you? You came to faith when you were at college, 18, 19, something like that? Okay. So when did you realize prayer mattered to you? Um, probably when it was all falling
3: apart. So for, for me, uh, I, I came to know the Lord young and learned to commune with God relatively regularly. Um, learned the value of quiet time and all of that kind of stuff. And, and God did lots in me, but in my late 30s, I hit a series of life circumstances that turned my life totally upside down. I had come to grips with some failure in my own life and and God just removing some things because he wanted to get at my heart and um, really so I don't know six, seven years ago, I, my daily relationship with God and my prayer life completely changed out of desperation. And I found that um, much of my life with God, I thought I had my stuff in order. You know, I was a pretty good kid. I loved him. I worshipped. I read my Bible, really, since I was young. And, um, but there was something about identity. There was something about security. There was something about me just being his son, similar to what Paul just said, in terms of just knowing that he's loved and that he belongs to God that for me, I had to experience kind of in failure and when everything fell apart and went dark. And I found myself in a deep depression for the first time in my entire life. And I found myself anxious. And I found myself crying out to God and long walks at the beach, long walks by myself, long walks of, God, what's happened? Have I failed? What have I done? Where are you? Who am I? Who are you? What is going on? And, um, so for me, a whole lot of failure and a whole lot of darkness caused me to find God and find communion with Him, find prayer, conversation with Him, matter in a way that's completely changed my
0: life. Beautiful. Beautiful. I didn't know that part of your story, actually. Um, one of the things that I love about you, Joe, and there are many I tease you, but I only tease people I love, um, is you, 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 have, you have faith for finances, You seem to be able to cry out to God fully expectant that God's going to provide. What's the story? Brief, brief, brief. Um,
3: You know, one of the things I learned from my parents who came to faith when I was young, uh, and God did something in them to cause generosity to flow from them. And it's, it's, I, my home eventually broke apart in a quite tragic way. And so the story isn't very happy, but it's, it's one of the things I can look back on and go, God taught me that through this thing. And I saw my parents in, in poverty, give out of their poverty. Um, And there were seasons where our family had next to nothing um, for different reasons, um, not having to do with any of their impropriety or failure or anything—it was just the season they were in—and I remember my dad always picking up the hitchhiker, always bringing somebody where could he go, always stopping to help the guy on the side of the road with his tire, always inviting the homeless man in for a, a sandwich, always um, giving, giving, giving—and and what I ended up seeing was God always give them enough, more than enough, honestly—and the Christmas tree would abound with gifts and. When our car broke down and and my parents had no money to replace it, someone gave us a car. And so I just witnessed watching that and began living that way myself as a young man. And so in my college years, um, like many of you, I had nothing. Um, You know, lived on, you know, whatever college half a job thing you have. Paid for college all by myself, private school, the whole thing, like many of you. And the amount of times I felt God speak into my ear, give everything you have to that one, and I said, "But God, I, I don't have anything left. Like, how am, I don't, how am I supposed to?" And I was on a two meal a day plan in college. I don't know if those still exist, but those evil things are there to like make <laughs> terrible people out of us. And you know, I was an athlete, and so food was like gold to me, and 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 so I had to spend the little money I had on food just to to kind of make it, but I heard God say so many times, give what's in your wallet, give, get tithe. beyond the tithe stuff. Tithe for me is just automatic. You know, God always gets 10% off the top, always goes to the care of the people of God. Um, but beyond that, so it was, so for me, I, I practiced it and tested God, if you can say that. It's the one place in Scripture where God says to test Him. Test Him that you don't withhold Um, what you owe me, so to speak. You can look that up in Malachi yourself. But, so I tested that as a young man, and then as a, a man with a family, I was a business person and often had more than enough, and Shelley and I practiced giving until it hurt over and over and over again. And God always gave back more abundantly than I could imagine. So that, that scripture from Proverbs says that he who gives to the poor lends to the Lord, and the Lord always pays him back. I dare you to test God. Yeah. It is the one thing God says to test him in, and that's to give. I could go on, and I will, because I'm going to ask Chris if I can preach on giving soon. And, I, and I, I've been meaning to ask him the last three weeks. I am going to preach on giving, and you, <laughs> and you will all be incredibly blessed because of it because god's going to go into your hearts and change it but um one just sorry just i can't resist so in when i was running my last business we had ran into a tough spot and we were literally down to 16 dollars in my bank account and this was a business that was like prospering we were doing great i'm doing the will of god we're out there like fighting devils in the world and establishing the kingdom and bringing heaven to earth it was awesome And then we hit this dry patch where no money was coming in. And we were like, what are we doing? $16 in my bank account. Me and my kids, you guys remember, sat around the dinner table and I said, kids, we've got $16 in our bank account. I don't know if you understand what that means, but that means we're not going to eat next week (laughs) unless God does something because Daddy's doing everything I can do to make some money. Well... We prayed as a family, prayed with my business partner. Shelly and I prayed. We prayed, we prayed, we prayed, and we worked hard. And that, as you know, God gave us more than we needed. In fact, so much so that we had the biggest year we ever had as a business. After that. God always gives. Test Him.
0: Beautiful. Shannon. All right. One last round of questions. You okay? You good? All right. Shannon, what's the biggest hurdle or obstacle to your prayer life? And how have you overcome it, now that you're a saint?
1: (laughs) I think it's myself. Um, I think it's sitting down and being so bogged down by the weight of my problems that I failed to look at Jesus. And if I can break through, you know, kind of... I guess it would almost be, you know, surrender or release or letting go, letting go of the things that have me so disgruntled, you know, just, right, like those feelings, which having a toddler, you have lots of those feelings. Um, If I can, if I can get to the point where I'm just like, I am not God, therefore, why am I focusing on my problems when I have a God who I can give them to and he's good and I can trust him? that he is going to take them and that he is going to be the one who lifts them off of my shoulders. Yeah. So if I can get there, <laughs> then it's usually a pretty good day. Um, but yeah, that can, that can be a challenge.
0: That's good. Paul, what about you? What's your, the biggest enemy you have to pray?
2: I think practically just the whole distraction age with like the phone. It's like insane how destructive YouTube and like social media can be to just a deeper, richer life with God. So on a practical level, I'd say like all that stuff of just, I think it's like average is like five and a half hours millennials spend on their iPhone. And my Sunday weekly reports verify that often. (laughs) Um, But yeah, I think it's similar to what Shannon wants saying, um, I think it's really, it's, it's, a, it's a control thing. I think it's, a, I think we're so taught in our culture to hold ourselves up by our bootstrap and just this efficiency and self-sufficiency where I feel like the efficient thing is what gets me the most. It's like sense of like prayer is not productive. So let me actually create my own safety net. And I think that's where prayer is so, subversive because it just kind of reminds you that you're not God and you know prayer is the most unproductive, productive thing that you can do but I think it, it takes a heart of letting go and surrendering first to this God you can't tangibly reach and feel and see is the hard thing for most people but I think that's the beauty of the wrestling with the doubt because in my own life I've been going through a tender season of doubt and just lamenting. And it's like Shannon was saying like, we suck at lamenting here. And I think asking the hard questions, wrestling, and just kind of really being raw and emotional and just like learning how to be real with God because God is so real that He can only meet us in reality. Where if we're like delusional and we're like, you know, in denial, He can't meet us there. He can't change what we're not believing. So, for me, embracing reality and so yeah, just like learning how to surrender and doing that daily, but also like learning how to truly lament and wrestle with God and knowing that faith always coexists with doubt because if there's absolute certainty, there's no need for faith. Beautiful. He's a good preacher, isn't he? <laughs> All right. So, can you give them a round of
0: applause? I. Thanks, everyone. Thank you. I, uh, I purposefully didn't give them the questions Ed. Yeah, you can, you can be seated. Thanks. I didn't give them the questions Ed, because I never know what I'm going to ask. I, I prefer God, the Holy Spirit, to just confuse us publicly. <laughs> Would you stand with me? And we're going to close tonight by reading what is called the Lord's Prayer. So if you, this is your moment, you can legitimately use your weapon of mass destruction, your phone, and I want us to read it together slowly, slowly, let that filter its way into our hearts. Those of you who've been doubting, thank you that you are here, join the rest of us. Those of you who've been broken and uncertain that God really is Father and actually really cares about you. One of seven plus billion people on the planet. Welcome. Welcome. Those of you who've never had a decent prayer culture because you felt you should be something or someone that you're not. Welcome. So I want us to say it together nice and slowly. Giving God, I'm going to pause And then give God in his inimitable way time to just marinate us with that truth.